This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. In just a few moments, John Carlson will return with another overview of Metro Vancouver real estate and lots more on the 1% Realty story. But first, here are some more of the top consumer stories we're following this week. Another pitch recently for a cashless society, this time from the CEO of Bank of America. At a fortune conference in New York, Brian Monahan said, point blank, we want a cashless society and we have more to gain than anybody from an operating perspective. Why? Well, the boss says the bank spends billions every year to move checks and cash around the company. He also noted that 800,000 people a day use Bank of America branches, but he says it's not about closing branches. It is a high-tech business, and you need both aspects, the branches and the cashless society, to be successful. Now, we've told you before here, some countries have already embraced the cashless route and survey last year, 13%, just 13% of people People in Sweden reported using cash for a transaction. The country's retailers predicted by 2025 they would stop accepting cash for transactions. Some Swedes have even gotten a microchip inserted into their hands as a quick and convenient way of paying. And the problem with your phone is? Not sure we're quite there yet in Canada, but there's no doubt the cashless model is taking over. Oh, well, this one didn't take long, nor was it expected to. Game on for Game of Thrones, the prequel. Film production for the untitled show has begun in Northern Ireland with local media outlets reporting that shooting sites were being set up across the province of Belfast. That's not a lot being said so far in terms of details about what this is going to look like, but HBO previously has said Naomi Watts will be in this one to play a charismatic socialite hiding a dark secret in the project from creators Jane Goldman and, of course, George R.R. Martin. The series will be set thousands of years before the events already seen in the Thrones series. It'll follow the world's descent from the gold golden age of heroes into its darkest hour. As to an appetite for such a movie, well, the final episode of Game of Thrones brought in a series record of 19.3 million viewers. Yeah, you could say folks are ready for more of that stuff. And in case you're wondering what the hottest show of the summer concert season is, StubHub has released the top-selling acts of the season. According to total sales on StubHub for Canadian tour dates between the 1st of June and September, September 2nd, Queen with Adam Lambert is the hottest summer concert, outselling second place Backstreet Boys by 65%. Sean Mendez and Michael Bublé, who rank 6th and 9th respectively, are the only Canadian performers on the list. They also happen to be the most active performers on the list, with seven performances each in Canada this summer. However, Sean Mendez has sold 46% more tickets so far. Here's the top 10 list of this summer's top-selling acts. Number one, Queen with Adam Lambert, who, by the way, are coming to town next Wednesday the 10th. Number two, Backstreet Boys. Number three, Billie Eilish. Number four, Pink. Number five, Paul McCartney, who's playing BC Place tonight. Also, number six, Sean Mendez. Number seven, Ariana Grande. 
Chris Stapleton is number eight. Michael Bublé is mentioned number nine. And the top ten is rounded out by Iron Maiden. Ha <laughs> ha. How's that for a diverse lineup? It's been 30 years since Canada replaced the $1 bill with the loony. And even though there are still more than 150 million of the bills in circulation, you soon won't be able to use them to buy stuff in stores. The feds have announced they're removing the legal tender designation from $1 bills along with the $2 bill, the $1,000 bill, and the extremely rare $25 and $500 bills, partly to combat counterfeiters. So as of January 1st, 2021, stores will be legally allowed to refuse to accept those notes as legal tender. Although, of course, they'll continue to be redeemed for their face value at any bank or through the Bank of Canada. The $1 bill was discontinued rather in 1989. The $2 bill in 1996 replaced, of course, by the loonies and the toonies. The $1,000 bill went away in 2000. If you have any of those bills, they're still good, of course, but some of them, especially the $25 or $500 bills, can surprise you by being worth many, many thousands of dollars. So check carefully when you're searching for those old bills. Those are some more of the top consumer stories we're following this week. We'll look at a few more later in the hour. But coming right up, Johnny 1%. John Carlson is back with more on Vancouver real estate and the 1% realty story. Stay with us. This is Vancouver Consumer, and you are on CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by John Carlson, personal real estate, real estate corporation. <laughs> Johnny, 1% is in the house, far more accomplished than I am so far this afternoon. Hi, John. Hey, I'm doing good. How about you? I'm and, great, thanks. Okay. It's good to have you with us. Wanted to tell you, we, we talk a lot, and have you and I have been doing this for a couple of years now, and we've seen absolutely remarkable changes to the landscape and real estate in Metro Vancouver, from the Fraser, Fraser Valley to, to English Bay, everything has changed in the last two years. Dynamics, prices, approaches to the marketplace, except, of course, the one constant is realtors. You have weathered the storm. You've been in this business a couple of dozen years now, and you've seen it all coming and going, and it's back, more changes. And it, in this marketplace, John, I don't think it's ever going to stop changing. No, the real estate market, you know, is, is almost like a living organism. It has its ups and downs. It grows, it contracts, and all those sorts of things due to a lot of external influences. Uh, so, yeah, things are always going to change. And I thank you for your compliment. I probably have not seen it all, but mm. I, I do know that, um, you know, in this business, you have to continue to be on your toes and you have to continue to follow what the market's doing so you can give good advice to the people who hire you. Um, so, yeah, being on top of the changes is, is key. And part of the, of the advice that you're called upon to dispense to your clients is presenting the property to the marketplace. That initial first impression, for example, here's the new listing, and off you go. Uh, the competition, it is a competition. If you're a seller, you're competing with every other seller for, for people to come and buy your home. But right. the dynamics of the competition have changed a little. And uh, another one has been introduced in recent months. You and I have talked about this once before. It seems developers are trying to up the ante a little bit, John, in terms of enticing people into new developments coming up in Vancouver. We saw a free avocado toast for six months. That's where it started a year or so ago. And now the incentives seem to be ramping up a little bit more. Uh, we've seen, for example, in the last couple of weeks, uh, uh, one 
one new development in the city offering to pay your mortgage for the first year if you were one of the first buyers through the door on the appointed day. That's a serious incentive. Yes, and as a as a home seller, depending on where you are and what segment you're in, the kind of property you have, you may be in direct competition with with some of these things. Exactly. So this is a great example of why an evaluation by an experienced agent, you know, is so important because, you know, I think the first thing that a seller needs to know right now is what is the lay of the land? What is, you know, the competitive environment? What does it look like sure. for your property? It, it may vary from property to property, but in, in this case, what we're seeing is, uh, and I, I do remember also in slower markets in the past where developers, if you can think of a developer, they may have, a group of people may have several million dollars into a project mm-hmm. and the market kind of goes a little bit flatter like we're seeing now. Well, they may not have the option of just saying, okay, we're just going to wait and we're going to, I mean, they've got to keep these things going. Oh, so, absolutely. So I can understand a developer hitting the market and offering some incentives. And I think we were talking about uh, one in particular that might pay your your mortgage and your maintenance fees and taxes for a whole year up to $30,000. That's very interesting. It shows that the marketplace is competitive, and for a developer to introduce multiple units, I mean, they're, they're trying to kickstart and, and get, uh, obviously, some people interested in that financial situation. Now, is it a free lunch? I don't know the terms of it, but oftentimes these things are built into the price. But what you need to know, if you're selling a similar, say, townhouse right. to this other development, and you've got a maybe two- or three-year-old townhouse, and this one's a brand new one, well, this is one example of knowing your competition because some of these segments, honestly, it's a bit of a dogfight. You have to be competitive and you have to know what your competition's doing in order to make the right decisions if you really want to sell. And some people in the market may not be competitive enough and maybe that's why the listings have been on the market a long time because as you mentioned, competing for buyers sellers always compete for sure buyers. In do. the past there was an awful lot of buyers and it wasn't much of a competition. Right. Well Numbers say that sales are down 40% over these these hotter years previous. So Mm -hmm. the number of buyers out there is fewer. The buyers that are out there are under some uh, stronger uh, restrictions in terms of borrowing money. So they might not be as rich as they hoped they were or that they were last year. So for these reasons, again, buyers are a little bit cautious and they're, they're, they're very value conscious when they're shopping and doing their comparison shopping in the area. So know what you're up against mm-hmm. when you hit the market because you know what? It might not be for everybody. A mom and pop, they might say, hey, you know, the market's flat. We don't have to sell right now. That's fine. But this certain developer or other developers that have millions of dollars invested, they're looking to push this project through and they're going to compete on the market to get the buyers. And if you don't want to compete with your competition, it's going to be hard for you. Right. So this is one of the things I talk to people. Again, every segment can be different. Some are much easier. Some are much more populated markets where you have to be more competitive. But these are the things we talk about when I meet clients uh, for the first or second time and make a plan going forward. Well, let's, uh, let's get a little strategic here and, and, and put together a bit of a plan. Because if you're comp- one of your competitors, when you hang that for sale side out on the front lawn, is the developer who's offering to pay mortgages up to thirty k for your first year, you can't compete against that. However, one possibility that you can do is... Uh, get a John Carlson in your corner uh, on the 1% side, save a ton of money on commission that otherwise would go uh, out the front door. And that allows you to perhaps adjust your price accordingly to be competitive with people who are offering incentives that you simply can't replicate. Sure. That's one good way of maybe being a little more competitive. I've, I've had that discussion many times with people, maybe a townhouse and there's four other listings in the complex. Mm-hmm. So, 
Uh, one thing you have to be careful of sometimes is if there's three or four or five other listings and they've been on the market 30, 60, 90 days, sometimes you come as a new listing with a much sharper price, everybody else adjusts as well. Right? Sure. You might start a little bit of a price war. Not necessarily, but something to keep in mind. And so one strategy that I've had uh, recently in this situation was to kind of keep the prices where everybody else was, maybe $100 under. But the nice thing is, if we get an offer coming in, like this lady said to me, hey, John, the reason I'm hiring you is my friend said you were good, but I can save money and I need to position sharp because I need to sell. Okay. So that's one of the ways that you can help. But you mentioned competing against these developers. It's not necessarily a, a difficult thing because if you keep in mind the price per square foot of some of these brand new properties, oh yeah. these things are, are built in. So it's not like you can't compete. You just need to know what you have to do to compete and where you should be price-wise because that's not your only competition. There may be other competition elsewhere. So just keep in mind buyers are value conscious. We're comparison shoppers by and large. And that lead with your strengths and promote what you have, but be ready to know that there are other listings out there that buyers are looking at and they're weighing their options pretty carefully. Another variable that comes into play, and we've discussed this many times on the program, here in Vancouver, being the desirable location that it is, it's pretty sure that 30,000 people are going to move to this area in this year. Absolutely. And I have no concerns for the long-term health of this market. I think that, you know, the influx of people that we've talked about many, many times is uh, something that's going to keep us going. The demand for this area is strong. It's going to remain strong. Uh, You know, we're just in an adjustment period and how far that goes is anybody's guess. So uh, as long as we're adjusting, though, uh, and adjusting is what it's all about because the changes that have undertaken in this market for the last couple of years – Basically, adjustment has been a daily task for some people with properties for sale. Yeah, I mean, the market adjusts. You have to adjust with it. Exactly. If you want to succeed. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really rocket science, but, uh, you know, just know. Start at square one. I meet somebody. We talk about their neighborhood. How many properties are for sale? How many have sold lately? How many are similar to them? Uh, and do you find, sorry to interrupt, but do you find when you go to a person's home, they've invited you in, they've heard you on the radio, and it's time for that discussion, do you find that most of those people have done good homework? Yeah, most people have done good homework, but their ability to interpret that is sometimes somewhat limited. I'll find that people generally know what the house is listed for, uh, you know, around the corner. Uh, they'll know maybe what the house sold for last August, um, but they don't really know how that would relate to them at this current moment because really they're looking at information in the past and they're not swimming in this every day like I am. So, but so you're you're the, the person that's able to sort of sort that information out as it might apply to their circumstances. That's right. I take all the information and I I, I go through it and I give them my interpretation sure, yeah. of that information. It's kind of like if you're looking at price for instance. I kind of, you know, one simple way of thinking about it is bookends. This price down here is really cheap. You're competing with inferior homes and you're going to probably sell. This price here, you're starting to compete with bigger, better, newer homes, homes and newer. You can kind of tell where that success zone is mm-hmm. if you really look at it. Nowadays, we, you know, there might not be a whole lot of sales, but there might be more listings to compare. So you want to make sure you're careful what you're comparing to. Are you comparing to something in the success zone or not in the success zone? And this is where a lot of interpretation comes in. And I don't claim to be perfect. I don't decide what homes sell for. But again, an agent with good experience uh, should be able to interpret the market well enough to give you an accurate picture of where you need to position in order to have favorable results. John, how difficult is it? And, and, I, and I know you've had this happen to you. How difficult is it when you sit down for that initial cu- cup of coffee and, and chat about uh, what we might want to do with our house and all the rest of it? And you get to the point where, okay, here's our, here's our asking price. You know, this is what we figure it'll go for. We've done some homework. We poked around right. and this is what we'd like to list at. And that 
that number is simply not going to work. It's just out of whack uh, for whatever reason. They've okay. just they, they're they're too high, to, mostly usually too high. Okay. So how do you talk people down from that uh, hopeful? number to a more realistic figure? You know, that's a great question. Um, Just thinking off the top of my head, when I do meet people, sometimes we talk about price and I give a recommendation uh, and they have another idea. The first thing I do is I check my own facts. I try to see if I've made any errors or if I'm not appreciating something about the property. Because these people have lived in the property, they know it better than I do. Sure. So when there's a difference of opinion that way, I have to remember I'm a guest in their home. I don't own the house. It's not my money. I'm not here to argue with anyone. I'm here to present the best information I can. Right. So coming up to a situation where there's a significant difference, I'd like to talk to the client and just say, okay, let's let's start looking at some of our competition and how do we stack up and, and where is this extra value? Because really, if you as a seller can't define that extra value and defend the price, you're not going to get it, right? So right. if... if, if and and if they can't explain it to you who will do some of the negotiating on their behalf, then that's not right. going to happen. So we see where that conversation goes. And okay. I've been in situations many times where I had a number in my head and people said, oh yeah, but we have this and that. And you know what? Actually, you know, we have an opportunity to do this and we could we could build a coach house or we could... Or maybe there's something I hadn't thought about and I'll go, hey, you know, that's good. Let me check on that. But... When I'm pretty confident that the number should be in a certain range and the sellers want to try something different, well, then that's a bit of a different conversation. We have to then say, okay, look, what's going to happen if we go two or three or four weeks and we're not getting the results we want? Uh, Is this something we want to adjust? Is there another strategy that we can try? Um, and, And oftentimes I have to, I always have to remember this. I'm a salesman. People invite me into their home. If I give them a number lower than they think, I don't blame someone for wondering, hey, is this guy giving us a low number so he can just get paid and get the heck out of here and, right, and right. sell our house? So sure. there's always that. So I'm always very cautious about that. But I tell people the truth as I understand it. And I think right now, this kind of market is one in the majority of segments that competition is tough. It's a bit of a dogfight. And if you're not, if you don't have an appetite for that, then you may not want to be on the market. If you remember what your neighbor sold for a year ago and you want to get the same you money want, for the same house. It's not going to happen, is it? It, it's just tough. So It might, but it's not as likely as it was a year ago. That's right. So every situation is different, but I, every client, I'll tell the truth as I understand it, and I'm open for discussion. And at some point in time, if I don't think I can get a job done for someone, I'll tell them. I'll say, you know, I really don't think I can satisfy right. that, and I appreciate the opportunity, but, you know, feel free to maybe look elsewhere or, or try something else. But I understand everybody wants to do well when they sell. They want the most money they can get. They want a good agent, and there's lots of agents out there. Johnny1percent.ca is Mr. Carlson's website, friends. Johnny1percent, all one word, .ca. Lots more with John Carlson and 1% Realty after the news. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. This Saturday afternoon, I'm Sterling Fox. In studio with me is John Carlson. Johnny1percent.ca is the website. He, of course, is Mr. 1% Realty here on CKNW. John, we've been talking about, among other things today, uh, new developer incentives that have been creeping back into Vancouver real estate. It's been a long time since we had this, but I can remember in the 80s, for example, there were all sorts of new False Creek condos going up and all sorts of wonderful incentives being danced around in front of possible clients' uh, eyes, but it's just been a while. So this whole developer incentive, which represents a new element of competition yes. in the marketplace, it does. Is, uh, it's just new again. It is. I mean, it's it's out there. Developers uh, have a job to do. They want to sell their product, and I think that... Uh 
that, that most developers would rather throw incentives at a buyer than reduce a price because you may set a precedent dropping price. So, um, you know, again, having a good agent in your corner when it comes time to negotiate a purchase of a new property may result in you getting a better deal or getting a bunch of extras thrown at you. So you really have to, you know, it's that kind of market where as a shopper, you can really ask for these things now. Some developers are just coming right out and offering them. Oh, yeah. Hey, here's a year's worth of fees. As soon as you complete, we're going to cut you a check. Of course, I have a feeling that's built into the price of the product you're paying. Possibly. But again, hey, we're in a competitive market and there's lots of ways to skin a cat. So I think, uh, you know, creative thinking, there's nothing wrong with that in real estate. I always try to put my creative cap on and find the best way to promote a property price-wise and that sort of thing well. But just know, you got competition out there in the market. Right. And now let's talk a little bit about the 1% business model. We're going to hear from one of your clients in just a few moments, Steve, uh, uh, in Langley, you, you did a fine job with. And we'll, we'll let Steve tell his own story in a few minutes. But tell us a little more about the 1% business model story before we hear from Steve, especially, John, and, and I keep thinking this, and it comes up so frequently, the whole notion, because you do charge less commission, right, that, right. That, that people feel, because we're smart people, and we're pretty well-conditioned consumers, that if you're spending less, chances are you're going to get less. And in some cases, people worry, John, that less may mean not exposing the property to the entire marketplace as competing realtors, for example, who make more in commission than you do, might take a flying pass on showing the property. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I've heard it all. I've heard you pay sure peanuts, you, you get monkeys. Yeah, I've yeah, heard, yeah, right. You know, here's how I see it. There are a lot of industries, of course, where it's very, very true. I mean, you can only produce a widget and get so cheap before you have to start cutting corners to undercut your competition. So a lot of maybe the trucking industry, manufacturing, certain things, it's very hard for, I think, a company to come and set up a much better fee schedule in a lot of these things. These are time-tested business models that have whittled down to be very competitive already. Real estate is a little bit different, in my opinion. I mean, the brokerages have the ability to set the commission rates. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. If I work at certain XYZ Realty and my broker says, John, here's the commission structure we work under, then I work under that, and that's that's what I do. And that's what you have done in the past. You have worked for other firms that did, did charge a higher commission rate. That's right. And, and the so, funny thing, oh, yes. go ahead, go ahead. The funny thing is, I'm doing more business and doing better uh, from a business now that I charge less than I did when I was charging more. Simply because you know the one percent business model gives me a big advantage. People want a good agent, but they want to save some money as well. So. I found that the 1% business model has been fantastic for my career. I mean, I was already Medallion Club and, and an established agent when I left in 2010 to join 1% Realty. But since then, I mean, several hundred homes I've sold. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it really is a big advantage to me that I can go out to people and say, hey, not only do I have a great track record and here's some testimonials, but right. this is what the bottom line is going to look like when you sell. And so that's a great big advantage for me. And I credit the 1% business model and Ian Bailey and the other agents at the company uh, for giving me an opportunity to really expand my volume. And I, you know, I think the more you sell, the better you are at what you're doing. So I keep busy and I absolutely love it. So the 1% business model, wonderful. I don't cut corners. None of the agents I know at our company cut corners. We're full service. We simply charge less. Here's a big fan of the 1% business model. Here's another of John's clients. This is Steve in Langley. Um, actually, it was um, through the, the radio ads that I heard on, on the radio. Uh, well, the, the first thing that I thought about or uh, was the the cost, the one percent cost compared to other real estate firms, um, and then uh, I then I started checking it out on the internet and uh, and heard him do a few infomercials there, and 
uh, it sounded really good. Uh, so um, we tried other realtors in the past on other houses that we had, and we, we didn't, weren't very happy with any of them, really. But when John came along, uh, the whole picture changed. It made it made a very pleasant experience to sell our house just now. Well, him and his uh, his wife came over, and they, they talked to us for oh, a good hour or more uh, before we listed, and then he explained everything, how it goes, no pressure at all. And then uh, they left and then left it with us to make our decision. And then we decided to uh, go with them. And then he came, ba- he came back with his wife and she took the pictures and, uh, and she did a lot of the uh, ranging for the showings. And we were very impressed with uh, how many showings we had. They had just an incredible amount. And uh, everything went good. He was always there at the end of the phone if we needed him for anything. And a uh, very pleasant fella to, to work with. And now he's helping us to uh, to buy another house. Um, well, we've um, uh, we've already recommended him to uh, some other people uh, to sell their house, and uh, they're they're checking it out too. And they're they're sounding like they're going to go with John too. Um, we got way better service from John than we had any other company. So uh, um, I don't uh, I don't see a problem. In fact, I don't know why everybody doesn't use him. <laughs> Because uh, that's the way to go, and he's saving us thousands of dollars. Well, there's Steve and Langley, obviously a satisfied customer. And by the way, thanks, Steve, for listening to the program, first and foremost, from Ben and me, and also for giving some credit to the unheralded member of your team, yes. your wife, Kamiko, yes. who does all the video work on the website and is an integral part of, of making it happen. Well, I've actually got my kids, too, uh, doing some of the digital media and stuff that we do and 3D tours and photos. And, and you know, if you listen to that, you might think, oh, he's got his wife doing the photos. Well, she's a professional. Exactly. She's fantastic. She's I very mean, good. Yeah. And we do all the Lightroom stuff, and we know how important it is to have good photos and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I have support. You need support when you're a busy agent, and I do have that support. I love it. Going back to Steve and Diane, wow. I mean, it was great to work for them. I, I know the first time I met them, um, they mentioned that they had a, an unsavory experience with an agent prior. Okay. And, um, you know, sometimes you hear things like that, and you never know what the details are, but I knew right away that... Um, you know, they'd been in their house something like 30 years and, you know, selling was a very big deal to them. So I knew that the process needed to go smoothly, that they needed to be and know that I was there for them. And, uh, and obviously, I guess they were pretty happy with the results. So any agent would have loved to have worked for them. And I'm glad that they chose me. And uh, it's, it's very nice that they're also referring me business uh, to their friends. So Steve and Diane and Ellen, oh, Diane, thank you very much uh, for the pair of homemade bears that she made <laughs> for Kamiko and I. It was one of the nicest gifts I've received in a long time. There's so, a commission bonus for you. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, And they've ended up in a great spot. So it's good to hear from Steve. I thank you very much. I'd love to repeat uh, that process. They had a house in Langley and um, they downsized. So, hey, I love to hear it, and anybody else who wants to call me and repeat that, I'm open for that. John, uh, he mentioned a new price at one point in in the conversation. It used to be a couple of years ago. If you saw a sign, a real estate sign on somebody's front lawn with that sticker on it saying, new price, you would immediately go, oh boy, somebody's really desperate. This is this is weird. Or they Two, raised the price. Yeah, or, 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 <laughs> that's right. That's right. Two years ago, new price. That was a bad thing. That was just, there was, it was a sign of weakness. Now, two years later, in a very different real estate market, new prices on stickers on signs are fairly commonplace now. They're fairly common. And it's not any demonstration of weakness. Perhaps a seller is being smart. 
Well, I think so, uh, d- depending on the situation. But let's put it this way. Statistically speaking, if you go on the market and 60 days later you haven't sold, the market's changed already, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. You probably do want to look at that price because not only was it maybe not sufficient to get the job done for that duration of time, but the new price now might be a little bit lower, I mean, statistically. So you really sure. want to look at that. And so there's a lot of properties that have adjusted their price. And that's not that unusual. And I don't really put a lot of weight in it. In fact, when I'm looking at a listing or when I have buyers and we're, you know, they say, how long has it been on the market? Oh, yeah. 100 days? Well, that's not so bad if they've dropped their price three or four times they've adjusted. But if they're the same price, that's a tough one for a buyer to wrap his head around because he goes, well, wait a minute. If nobody's wanted it for the last 100 days, why should I want it now in right. a declining market? Especially so, if the price hasn't been touched in 100 days. Yeah. So these are generalities, but buyers, you know, see that and they're sensitive to those sorts of things. So, you know, again, it's part of an overall strategy, but a price reduction is is really nothing uh, to be to, to be worried about. You talked about 1% and Ian Bailey, the founder of the organization, he's, right. he's a Vancouver guy and 1% Realty was formed as a Vancouver company. And now, uh, many years later, it's a national enterprise with agents not only all over British Columbia, yes. but all over Canada. I've actually had an opportunity to, to refer agents out throughout British Columbia, Vancouver Island. I mean, Per Dahlstrom out there in Duncan, he's handled clients for me and done an awesome job. In fact, good friends of ours are heading out there, I think, this weekend to be looking at properties with him. David Ferenz out in Abbotsford and Chilliwack. I've got a couple of listings where I'm working with him. And we've got lots of great agents throughout this, uh, you know, greater Vancouver and all throughout Canada. And most of the time, I'm focusing on Greater Vancouver and Fraser Valley. But people move. But people move. And if if you're thinking about calling 1% Realty or me, um, you can do that because I do take on partners. And I'm able to, you know, advertise my listings on the radio and my website and do all these sorts of things. But I also have another partner that's maybe a little closer when I go out to, say, Chilliwack and that sort of thing. Sure. You can contact me anytime and I can, if there's an agent at our company that I can pair up with or or send you to who can do a good job, I'm going to do that because really... Obviously, I'm a huge believer in the 1% business model. My philosophy is why pay more if you don't have to? I would never pay a cheap price for an inferior product. That's just the way I am. But on the other hand, if I can get a good deal and get an excellent product at an excellent price, that's when I'm interested. I'm just quoting from the website, johnny1percent.ca. Yes, we are regular real estate agents in every sense of the word. We simply charge less. That's it. End of story. And then it goes on to say, though not all commissions are the same, the prevailing rate within the Lower Mainland is 7% of the first 100000 of the sale price and 2.5% of the balance. This can add up fast. Now, you, when you started in this business, those were the terms and conditions that you were working for That's right. under a different company. That's right. And I hate to go back to this, but you took a pay cut in 2000 to join 1% Realty. A lot of people must have thought, thought you were just off your rocker. And yet, as you've said, you've done really, really well. But what caused you to take that pay cut? Well, I looked at the lay of the land and I thought the consumers were poised to get better value. I thought they wanted better value in real estate when it came to commissions and selling their home. I thought they were they wanted it. They're poised to get it. All the technology is changing. The consumers, the potential buyers have all the information in the palm of their hands. And I thought to myself, hmm, it seems as if some people want to save that seven and two and a half or that typical business model and protect it, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But it seems there's an awful lot of people here who maybe would like to see something better. In other words, a better price with still top performance. And I just rationalized that if I made that change, that I would be popular and uh, not necessarily with all the other agents, but with the with the uh, the public. And that's been exactly the case. I don't spend money looking for business. I simply do referral business from people I've worked with before, new callers from the radio. And, and as we heard from Steve, uh, former clients who recommend you that's to right. 
their friends. It's all word of mouth, and it's all about positive image from client to client. That's right. And people just need to be aware that you do have options. You have choices. You can talk to Joe or Sally at XYZ Realty and all those sort of things, but you might want to call somebody at 1% Realty as well just to get the, the real goods on what that agent can do for you. And I'm happy to be that agent if you want to call me. All right. And by the way, the number for Mr. Carlson is uh, 604-612-0080. Again, that's 604-612-0080. And of course, all of this information is is on his website, which is a very handy, very information-packed website. It's johnny1percent.ca. Johnny1%, all one word, dot C-A, and beware of imitators. Yeah, and 604-612-0080. John Carlson can be reached any time at that number. Give him about another 60 seconds here because we're about to wrap the show, and then you can get a hold of him at 604-612-0080. Any final thoughts here on a nice July afternoon, John? Well, I just hope everybody has a fantastic summer. I mean, congratulations to the graduates uh, graduating from high school. And one in your house? One in my household. uh, You know, summer, summer. So I hope everybody has a great time. But if you have real estate on your mind and you want someone that you can depend on that might be a good resource to talk to, I'm available. I'll be taking some holidays, but I'll still be working most of the summer. So I'm here and I hope everybody just enjoys this special time that we have when it's not pouring rain every day. No kidding. Have a great summer yourself, sir. We'll see you soon. Thanks very much. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to John Carlson for another helpful visit this afternoon. It's time now for Duly Noted. And this time, our producer, Ben Dooley, has a look at St. Paul's Hospital's new cardiac CT scanner. Thanks, Sterling. St. Paul's Hospital has a new CT scanner dedicated solely to heart patients. The new scanner will be a key part of a standalone rapid access chest pain clinic, which is due to open next year. The high-tech unit was free, provided by the manufacturer in exchange for research data. The scanner is smaller and easier to use than full-body scans and produces sharper images. Able to image 25 people a day, the scanner is expected to drastically reduce wait times while providing critical information to doctors and patients. Here's, here's Dr. Jonathan Leipzig, head of radiology at St. Paul's Hospital. And when you see the scanner, what really impresses me the most is that this is at about half the size and under half the cost of a traditional high-end CT scanner, making it much more cost-effective and more available. For the patient, I think the richness of cardiac CT is really providing him or her with an understanding as to whether or not they have coronary artery disease. To me, I think when the patient has chest pain, that is fundamentally the question that they're asking. We haven't been able to answer it in an easy fashion historically, but now non-invasively we can. I'm Ben Julie, and that's Julie Noted. Interesting stuff. Thanks, Ben. Time for another consumer quickie before we have to go. And this time we have one of those summer lists, and this one's all about our favorite and least favorite vegetables. In a survey conducted by OnePoll, 2,000 people were asked to rank veggies in the favorite and least favorite categories, and here are the winners. Favorites. Corn. That's right. Corn was number one with over 94% of respondents. Next up, up, rather, spuds. Potatoes were a close second with 91% approval, followed by carrots and tomatoes tied for third at 89%. 
Another tie between onions and green beans at 87% each was next. And broccoli also made the favorite list with 85% saying okay to it. Rounding out the top 10 faves are cabbage, 84%, and peas at 83%. So, what are our least favorite veggies? Well, in this poll, the lowly turnip topped that list with 27% saying, yuck, they don't like it. Next, beets, 26%. Radishes at 23%, and that's your top three list. And you can also add Brussels sprouts at 21% as a close fourth. The rest of the top ten least favorite vegetables? Artichoke, eggplant, butternut squash, Zucchini, zucchini, come on, mushrooms and asparagus. But here's the real story. One of the most shocking survey revelations was that over 25% of respondents say they never eat vegetables. And of those who do eat vegetables, only a third of their meals, 36%, actually include a vegetable as a part of it. But Americans are at least trying to eat more vegetables, as 72% of us say they wish they ate more than they do. Not only that, 67% of us North Americans say we feel guilty when we fail to eat vegetables with our meals. So what's holding us back? Well, the biggest reason people don't eat more vegetables is because the produce spoils before they get a chance to eat it. 25%, one in four, also say vegetables simply cost too much. 22% say they also take too much time to prepare. And one in five say, well, I don't know how to cook them properly. And yes, we are aware that corn is referred to by some as a grain, not a vegetable, and we don't care. That is our show for today, produced by Ben Dooley with Andrew Ferreira at the controls. I'm Sterling Fox, back in a couple of weeks after our summer break. Have a great day. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.